What's up, you beautiful people, and welcome to This Is Pro Wrestling. We're here, we're ready. It's episode number one. We are talking about the history of professional wrestling. This is part one, the beginning, the real beginning. This is the very beginning. This as far beginning as you can get that we know of, that science has allowed us to have. Uh, the genesis, if you will. Yeah, there you go. And I am uh, I am Gary Horn. Hello, everyone. Doc. Doc Stinson's here. What's up, everybody? Hopefully you're listening to this in the morning, working out again, as we said in the previous episode. <laughs> Doc, really concerned about your health. Yep. And, uh, well, he's a, he's a doctor, so. And I am Will Martin, and I'm happy to be here. I'm ready to dive in. Yeah, uh, maybe you listened to the introduction episode. If you didn't, uh, this is pro wrestling is now this is our flagship show and it's a history show and uh, we're getting rid of the gatekeepers. We're telling you everything you ever needed to know about pro wrestling, the history, the legacy, tradition, the whole thing. And uh, this first episode or this first series is going to be a walk through the timeline of pro wrestling, how it all got started. Everything, uh, well, this is just part one, you know, so we'll get to where we get to and we'll we'll tell you what's coming up next. Uh, but in this episode one, we just really wanted to establish a base uh, for understanding pro wrestling, what it is at a, what we hope is a, a scholarly and fun, a fun level. That's, that's what I was thinking. It's fun. Absolutely. And I want to go ahead right up at the top and give props to the good doctor, who has put in the research, he's put in the work, he he made a multi-page document of notes. And I have to say, I did not read it. So I am coming into this totally blind and I'm experiencing this with all of you who are listening. And I can't wait to be educated because uh, the work's been put in and we're, we're about to go to school. It's going to be a lot of fun just because of the fact that Will is going to be the audience surrogate. He's going to just take in everything as we put it out. The doc has done the research. He's got the historical credentials down. Everything he says is based in fact and literature. Everything I say is going to be completely made up. So you have to parse through it all. That's, and probably inf influenced by whiskey. Yes. Also probably influenced <laughs> by whiskey. That's, that's, the, oh, that's the real way that's to learn about pro wrestling, Will. Listen, if this is your first time listening to the show, you've never experienced one of our live streams, uh, the further into the show we get, the more that you will meet a character that is part of our story named Whiskey Gary. And Whiskey Gary is very entertaining. So if you think that uh, it's not funny enough or entertaining enough right here up front, just give it a little bit of time. Make sure you listen all the way to the end. And if you, if you, if you wait long enough, you might even get to meet his twin brother, Tequila Gary, who is a little bit more aggressive and even has been known to storm off the show from time to time when we hurt his little feelings. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't like the way this first episode's starting off at all. Look, the, man, is the man's only four foot five. So. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the one lying. And then here you guys, uh, for those of you wondering, uh, Rob and Will are currently a tag team called the Enablers. They're trying to get me drunk and ruin my whole Listen, life. Listen, we're just trying to, we're not trying to get you drunk. We're trying to create good content. We are content creators and we know that Whiskey Gary is good for engagement. Oh, hey, say what okay. you want about Whiskey Gary. He's good for ratings, man. All right. right. 
Well, does Whiskey Gary use a dictionary? Because this Gary's got a dictionary, and he brought it out just for this very special day. And the reason I did is because, well, first of all, we just want to establish, if you didn't watch the introduction, a lot of our information is going to be coming from Brian Solomon's Pro Wrestling FAQ. We call that the Bible of pro wrestling. Uh, Doc Stinson got a lot of information from there. I got a lot of information from there. Will puts it on a shelf and holds it up in front of the screen sometimes. And It looks uh, really good. It looks really yeah. good on my shelf. And so I think from this episode, you're probably going to get some of that from that stuff. Uh, also, the comic book history of professional wrestling. That's another one. Uh, that Or the comic book story of professional wrestling by Aubrey Sitterson and Chris Moreno. Has a great overview of the timeline of professional wrestling so we didn't lean heavily in on that or i did at least so i want to give full props to those folks right up front and uh i bring that up because i also brought out the dictionary which deserves all the respect to the world uh but i looked up the word sport guys i looked up the word sport it has a noun it means an athletic activity requiring skill or physical prowess and often of a competitive nature such as racing, baseball, tennis, golf, bowling, wrestling, boxing, hunting, fishing, etc. Uh, and as a verb, it can be used to amuse oneself with some pleasant pastime or recreation. I also strolled I like up. I like that. You like that one? That's I the like good that one. one. Yeah. Verb. To amuse, what you do. to amuse thyself. Yes. I like that too. Uh, that that does it. Rob, don't take that the wrong way. It, amuse yourself does it's very particular i think it means like humor yourself not you know right like 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 uh abigail williams and uh arthur miller's a crucible would say we're only sporting hmm. i uh i don't get that joke i've never seen it they do say that they do say that <laughs> hey man they urge, urge her into uh plays in broadway they're rolling right now boy no because that, yeah. <laughs> that was how funny that was they're like that's distance off the chain Dang, boy, you the guys, on episode one, baby. You guys got to be patient with the doc. He uh, just discovered TikTok and he is all in. So you're going to hear some references that may not make sense. <laughs> I got a small waist, pretty face, and a big bang. Oh, like kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> Over on Wikipedia, uh, they, they give the definition of sport as sport includes all forms of competitive physical activity or games, which through casual or organized participation, at least in part, aim to use, maintain or improve physical ability and skills while providing enjoyment to participants. And in some cases, entertainment for spectators. Uh, all of this is referenced from like the European sport accord and rounded up from multiple different definitions. You can find on what a sport quote unquote is. I say all of that to say this per most, any definition you can find a sport mainly involves competitive physical activity. It's usually organized and it's all about physical ability and enjoyment of spectators. That's the stuff I wanted to focus in on. All of that, I think is a good launching point to understand why we love the definition of professional wrestling per Aubrey Sitterson and Chris Moreno's book, the one, uh, the comic book story of professional wrestling, they refer to it constantly as the one true sport. And I really like that definition. It seems to fit in perfectly everywhere you look. It matches up with everything you know about sport. And uh, I just want to establish that. So professional wrestling, the one true sport. And I know a lot of folks out there are going to disagree with it being called a sport and we'll maybe settle 
for a modern term like sports entertainment, as it's known in a lot of places these days. And I guess that's your prerogative. But I think for us, professional wrestling, quite literally, in one way or another, captures every single aspect of what we think of when we think of sport. And we'll dive into all of that. So stick with us. Also, we know a lot of people are going to be tuning in here to hear all the great stories and tells the backstage junk. They want to hear us pick on Hulk Hogan and give you the best flair stories. And all of that's coming. We promise. Just the world of professional wrestling is so full of amazing tales. So we just hope we can build some trust with you in these episodes so that you'll come on the same journey with that we're on it. And you'll just trust us when we say we'll get there. There's great stories, but have you heard this one yet? All right. So Rob, up top, I was just giving those thoughts on professional wrestling, but you're the doc. So I'm not going to take anything away from you or pretend like I know anything. You don't. If someone to come up to you and say, Doc Stinson, I need to know for uh, my paper I'm writing, what is professional wrestling? What does Doc Stinson think of when he thinks of professional wrestling? Well, I, you you really don't have to go any further than uh, than the uh, Citizen uh, Marino definition of the one true sport. I think the problem with that, though, is that sounds kind of like a wrestling nickname. You know, the one true sport, Gary Horn. You know, the one true <laughs> Sounds like a great I'll be the one true sport. <laughs> <laughs> I go get a sport. Yeah, now all those are good. I, I think establishing what sport is. Here, here's the thing about wrestling fans, and wrestling fans, I guess, are a lot like other fans in that there's always going to be a segment that's really, really, really precise and 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 concerned with minutia and things like that. And so you'll have people that will say, and and good scholars, by the way, will say, look, we don't really have anything re- resembling what we know as modern pro wrestling until well after 1900. And they'll go, you know, people say, well, what about references to wrestling in the Bible and this and that? And they will say, well, that's not the same thing. And I I think we have to understand that wrestling is constantly evolving. And so really honestly, if you're going to go with that logic, what was wrestling in the 1950s is not really, you know, it's similar, but it's not the same thing to what we see today in 2021. Uh, We're, we're going to have to, to settle in and, 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 and hunker down on a couple of, characteristics that make up this body of material that fit within the broad family of of disciplines that we call pro wrestling because it's not just one thing and i do have a definition that that encompasses about six or seven different characteristics and some of these are sometimes not present uh, but i think at some point all of these are present in some measure and when we really think about pro wrestling pro wrestling involves a little bit of all of these things. So here's the definition that we drafted. Okay. And now it's one of these is one of these only wearing underwear. <laughs> well, um, at I'll, no, no, because uh, <laughs> at some point, even in ancient times, you would not have seen ancient wrestlers wearing anything at all. They'd be doing it. Oh. And it'd just be out there. Hey, free, just like nature, how nature created them. So if you think about it, when you order your next Little Caesars pizza, just picture picture Little Caesar just butt-ass naked, just wrestling around with the hut. Hot and ready. <laughs> As I see it, and again, there's going to be some, there's, there's some flexibility in this, but here's the definition, okay? And this is not a definition that we drug out. We wrote this definition ourselves, okay? And it's it's informed by all of the sources that were mentioned, plus the dictionary, plus Wikipedia, plus our own anecdotal experience. And here's the definition that I think encompasses 
uh, comprehensively what wrestling is, at least, okay, as a base. <clears throat> wrestling is an athletic sport and a form of performance art in which two or more prize fighters engage in simulated combat under predefined stipulations in order to reach a pre-established goal and or to further along a narrative. Like Will's always talking about narrative and story and philosophy, and that's important to it. So <clears throat> as you look at it, Gary and Will, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, that's a good number, seven. Lucky seven. You got at least seven distinct components that are going to make up pro wrestling. One, it's an athletic sport, and feel free to jump in at any time here. It is a form of performance art. It involves two or more prize fighters. So we're talking about singles matches, tag team matches, six men matches, modern elimination style matches, battle royals. There's two or more. Although I, I will say, Ricky Starks has shown that he can wrestle a uh, a broomstick, and I guess that would be pro wrestling, right? Um, That's true. Kenny Omega fought the Invisible Man at one point. So well, technically, the Invisible Man would be uh, another competitor, right? Fair, fair enough, fair enough. And, and uh, a lot of these guys spend a lot of time fighting their own demons. So, Ooh. oh, nice. Nailed well, that's it. all of us, right? I know. I've, <laughs> I know Gary's fighting demons right now. <laughs> that's not fighting demons. I'm just wrestling myself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, he's my little demon, though. <laughs> we, so, look, so, it's an athletic sport. Okay. So, this is going to be this distinct from say something like esports or motorsports. Now some people might argue, well, if I'm getting on WWE 20K19, is that not professional wrestling? And uh obviously it's wrestling related and it's wrestling driven content, but for you to engage or participate or watch pro wrestling, it is it is a um it's an athletic sport that involves muscular strength and endurance. All right. It's a form form of performance art. So it is intended to be a spectacle for onlookers. This is intended to be seen. Now, are there exceptions to that? Yeah, you've had lights out matches. You've had empty arena matches, but those are ultimately packaged and presented either, you know, after the fact or in the media has this event took place. We want you to know that this, you know, Luthez or so-and-so beat so-and-so in an empty arena match for this particular goal. So, it's an athletic sport, a form of performance art that's meant to be consumed by spectators, okay? It involves two or more prize fighters. In very rare circumstances, it might involve a prize fighter and a broomstick or an invisible man. Um, it is simulated combat, okay? So wrestling portrays physical combat or a, a form of martial art in which one combatant or a set of combatants must either through submission, pinfall, debilitation, or benchmark attainment, meaning you you uh, you know you achieved you went sixty minutes, or you you won two out of three falls. You achieved some benchmark, but through the course of those uh, goals, you have to subdue the other opponent or set of opponents. So wrestling is about competition and eventually subduing an opponent. By the way, this is not just the definition for Rob for wrestling. This is also a copy. Uh, what he's reading from is the prenup that Tanya had to sign before their wedding. <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i mean this you know obviously this is a very detailed uh definition i agree with all of it for sure but it, i mean it makes professional wrestling completely unique i mean i'm racking my brain here as i listen to you talk about this I'm trying to think of anything that could like possibly 
stack up and and meet this criteria. Obviously, this is very specific when you talk about simulated combat, but I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, you know, two or more people, a common goal, uh, form of performance art, athletic. Like the only thing that comes to my mind is like couples figure skating that could even like tick, you know, more of these boxes than just one or two. I mean, when you talk about, you know, regular quote unquote sports, you're, you're talking about just pure competition that happens to be televised or in front of a, a stadium crowd or something like that. I mean, there's so many facets of this and that's what truly sets professional wrestling apart really from any other sport. And so when you say it's the one true sport, I, I mean, I, I get behind that. I'd love to think of stone cold, Steve Austin sitting right now having a beer and he's listening to this podcast and he's just like, this mother, he just compared me to a figure skater. <laughs> I, I am sure. Have you ever happy. tried to ice skate? No, I, I haven't. I, it's hard. Well, I mean, You've I have. I, I can't ice skate. Yeah. Okay. I can't. Yeah. I, can, I can't. I can't. And I don't even have the desire to try because I've tried it like twice and it was just unbearable. Have you ever so, tried? Also, it? never took a stunner, Steve. So we're not saying one's better than the other. Have you ever tried ice skating with a broomstick as your partner or an invisible partner? Especially, you really, you really own this broomstick thing, Ricky. Have, have you ever ice skated with your demons? Think about that. Ooh, that's good. That's a, well, well, that's not all, guys. Wrestling is not just an athletic sport. It's not I just, just always called it jerking in the freezer. But fair, fair enough. Oh man. <laughs> Wrestling is not just an athletic sport. It's not just a form of performance art. It's not just two or more prize fighters. It's not just simulated combat. In addition to that, wrestling is characterized by predefined stipulations. When, when wrestlers go into a match, they know what the parameters are. Sometimes the parameters are there are no parameters. The stipulation might be no disqualification. But they know that ahead of time, you know, to be a traditional wrestling match. Now, now we, we do have that strained a bit sometimes today because now we have like the contemporary 24 seven rule in the WWE and some would even, some are very critical of that, but to, to enter, to, to carry the 24 seven championship, one of the stipulations is you got to be ready at any time. So that still technically meets the criteria. Um, You've One got thing we're not going to tackle in this episode, by the way, is why the hell anybody would ever want that title. Uh, just throwing that out there. You're not going to get those answers here, so don't expect anything. <laughs> it's uh, um, you've got, gosh, and you guys can probably rattle them off. But you look at when we talk about predefined stipulations, we've got stipulations all over the map. We got the classic one fall or two out of three falls match that we kind of prefer. Then you've got sometimes matches that are no disqualification matches. You've got a lumberjack match in which you are confined to the ring, not by a cage, but by other wrestlers. And then on one side, you usually got one faction and another side, you got another faction. We saw this uh, just recently on AEW with uh, uh, um, Lance Archer and uh, Eddie Kingston in a lumberjack match. Those have been going on forever. And we just saw one play out the other day. You've got elimination matches. You've got, um, all kinds of scaffold matches, barbed wire matches, uh, Russian chain matches, bull rope matches, what the list goes on and on. But uh, though the rules may vary, the nature of each contest is understood by the combatants at the outset of the match. 
So uh, it's a it's a sport defined by pre-defined stipulations with a pre-established goal. There is a reason that they've chosen to come into this simulated combat under these stipulations, and it's usually to determine a champion, to establish a pecking order or a contendership, to impose a sanction such as a loss of career, loss of hair. Uh, that's a, a favorite of Will's. Um, like shots fired right at the beginning here. Yeah, no, that's why. I mean, he just know, that's what happened to me. I didn't go bald. I, I lost a hair versus hair match to uh, Andre the Giant. So, you know, nothing, nothing to hang my head about. Not going to get that win back. No, I guess not. You've got. Or uh, he'd be really easy to pin right now. One way or the other. <laughs> you've got. Uh, you've got uh, banishment from a territory. Uh, we just did on our on our TikTok. Uh, we did a story um, yesterday was, which happened to be. I know you're not going to necessarily listen to this on. Well, you're not going to listen to this on January the 10th, but January the 9th was the anniversary of a great legendary encounter between uh, the Nature Boy Ric Flair and the Midnight Rider, this mysterious opponent that showed up mysteriously right after Dusty Rhodes had lost a 60 day suspension match to Kevin Sullivan. He was banned from championship wrestling from Florida for 60 days was not to show back up. Well, guess who shows up the midnight rider. I'm not going to say it was dusty, but it looked like dusty. It's, it sounded like dusty. He even had the the stomach tumor, you know, like dusty. And uh, you're going to say he smelled like dusty. I was like, (laughs) Uh, as it turns out, you know, only one man smells like dusty roads. And who is I love that? the delayed laugh. That's good. It's better if it's just dead silent after I make it. <laughs> yeah, it, Am I going it, too it, hard and, on and, the jokes? I'm trying, not, Rob, trying to be funny. I think Rob just doesn't know if you're finished. Like you kind of look like you have more to say. So we're just kind of like, is that the joke? Okay, that's oh, the whole please joke. Allow okay. me to elaborate on Dusty Rhodes' stomach <laughs> tumor. <laughs> so for those of you who are listening and, and have not watched us live, I encourage you to watch us live, but but uh the, uh Gary has this quirk and only people who are close to him like have picked up on it he has this quirk where like he says something and after he's done saying it he stops at mid smile like he's about to continue and he doesn't so he's like he does that all the time he doesn't realize it but a lot of times i did not realize that it didn't come on the show to get psychoanalyzed here (laughs) you should have known that that was gonna happen (laughs) poker tell oh man um but anyway, to, to go on with that little that little uh, sidebar, um, the Midnight Rider shows up right as Dusty Rhodes is suspended for sixty days. I believe it was sixty days. It might have been ninety days. So don't 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 beat me up if I'm wrong on that. But he was suspended for quite some time. Well, the Midnight Rider shows up under a mask. This is in 1983. Now, this is the first incarnation of of this particular character. And in the course of it, uh, Kevin Sullivan and J.J. Dillon are convinced that this is Dusty Rhodes. And so they are begging Bob Geigel, who is the president of the NWA at the time, to ban, to force him to unmask. And if it was to be Dusty, who is violating his suspension, to ban him for a year. Well, Bob Geigel refused to do so. He said, the man's wrestling under a mask, whatever. I'm not, he doesn't, you know, he can wrestle under a mask. We've had mass wrestlers before. The problem was the mass wrestler gets a match for the world's championship against uh, Ric Flair. This was January the 9th, 1983. And the, the mess, the mass rider wins the match cleanly. He pins Ric Flair. 
Ric Flair will say, when I walk out here week after week and can't be beat, I'm lying because I've been beat once in 10 years. This was that match. And he got beat. And the NWA was prepared to recognize him as the first mass champion under the under the, the uh, stipulation that he unmasked. Because in those days, even though we've had Abyss and we've had Blue Demon Jr., back in those days, you could not hold the major title under a mask. And uh, he said, you will be the champion, but you have to unmask. And the masked rider refused to do so. And uh, as because if he had done it, presumably if it was Dusty, he would have been banned for a year. And so the title is handed back to Flair. The title change is not recognized. And that is the legend of the Midnight Rider. But the point is, sometimes a totally screwed up the whole Midnight Rider episode we were going to do in two weeks. But thank you for that. Thanks. (laughs) Rob. Oh, there's much more well, to I, this. I, yeah, I have a feeling Rob's got more to say about that, so you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, and the Mad- the Midnight Rider, re- he's a recurring character. He comes back at least two more times. On under- this show. On this show, yes. <laughs> we're going to come up on here next next Wednesday, and Will's going to be under a mask. Or Will, we're going to think of- he's going to be under a mask. Like, hey, baby, we're going to get funky like a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy only it only you, took only, like half an episode to get Rob Stinson's Dusty Rhodes impersonation. <laughs> I know <laughs> we haven't even been able to do that on our live streams. <laughs> but anyway, that's a stipulate. It's an example of a of a pre-established, uh, a predefined stipulation with a pre-established goal of banishment from a territory, loss of a totem, or a talisman, or a mask. Again, loss of hair. So wrestling always has this pre-established goal. It's not hey, wouldn't it be time. cool? Wouldn't it be cool if there was like a, a match stipulation that it was like there was like a wheel or something that you spun it and the stipulation just kept changing throughout the match? So the further you went, it was like, oh, now this is a hair versus hair match. Oh, now this is a loser leaves town match. Oh, now this is a you know this like that. W- I mean, has that ever happened? It, it would be happened. interesting. Oh, it's happened. Yes. Oh my God! This is why we got Doc Stinson on this show, ladies and gentlemen. He was ready with that answer. Sting wrestled, uh, you guys remember the match, Jake the Snake Roberts and Sting wrestled. No, that's the cold biter's glove match. Right. And they rolled the wheel beforehand. That's right. But it was the, I think the essence of it though, is that it was the wheel that determined the stipulation. They didn't know going in. They spun the wheel, make the deal. I was it. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Right. So they spin. Well, I was, like, you do a body I was saying, and spin the wheel again. <laughs> well, I was saying more like as the match goes on, like almost like the Royal Rumble, right? Every like 60, 90 seconds, whatever. Like there's a counter and then there's like a new stipulation. It's like the further you go in the match, the more like it starts out at just a regular, like, you know, no DQ match or something. And then like two minutes in, it turns into a loser leaves town match. And then the further you get, it's like, you know, the stipulation keeps changing. This is 18th century Greece rules. Take your pants (laughs) off, Sting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we're all, I think we're all here for that. Stakes. If you fall in the pit of stakes, you lose. <laughs> oh, now this is a uh, uh, what is it? The orange juice uh, mimosa match. <laughs> mimosa mayhem. All right, now we've made it through the ten minutes of the of the iron stakes that you can be impaled upon. Now we're moving to the phase of the mimosa, <laughs> the feared mimosa. So, yeah, it would be a lot of work. Anyways, continue. I think there have been. I think there have been. I see what you're getting at. Has has that happened? I don't know. Probably it has. But there have been. Things like that. I mean, like you got the Kevin Sullivan torture chamber match where every level you go up, there's a different cha- uh, stipulation. You've had um, war games 
War Games is like that. It essentially starts out kind of like a battle royal where there's no, you know, people enter at increments. There's no disqualification. And then once everyone's in, the stipulation changes to, uh, to um, what's it, what do they call it? They call it uh, submission or surrender. <laughs> I'm like, what's the difference between submission or surrender? We got to do a deep dive just on that. Those are All those right, are synonyms. That seems like a good episode. I'm sure that'll that'll bring in the listeners. But you can see what I'm saying. I think I think I, I see the spirit of what you're saying, Will. The evolving the evolving stipulation has happened, not in the way well, it may have happened in the way that you just articulated. But but it, it you know the point is, uh, even if that were to have happened, the the compet the the combatants enter in knowing that that's a stipulation that determines other stipulations. So it still fits within that characteristic that makes up one of the uh, crucial features of pro wrestling. And then uh, maybe the most important of all, maybe the most important is that wrestling almost always, well, I would say it always in, in some way furthers along a narrative. Like we were saying in, the, in maybe the previous Unless it's Monday night raw. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then the narrative is just like postmodernism or the deconstructionism where there is no meaning, you know, so, which is what you're seeing play out there on Raw, but uh, you you found the deeper meaning for Monday yeah. Night Raw. Like it's just uh, it's to make you evaluate yourself. Like it's just turn turn your feelings of pro wrestling inward. But that's a highly evolved form of pro wrestling that we'll get to later. It is postmodern. It, it is deconstructionism. Deconstructionism. For those who don't know, this is a, a it's a linguistic philosophy that. Language doesn't really mean that they don't really refer when we speak and we're conversing in English. We're not really referring to ideas or concepts. We're only referring to other words. Uh, and so basically it's the belief that there is no meaning. You hope hear people say that. And it's always struck me because I'm like, do you mean to tell me there is no meaning? <laughs> like, so what you mean to say is there is no meaning, you know, and, and we see like postmodernism and deconstructionism play out all the time in, in brands like SmackDown and Raw, for sure. So the Miz, like constantly helping you reach your higher self. That's what I love about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but wrestling at its core is storytelling. And without it, you're not going to have much of a draw unless you, I mean, because even, even when we look at MMA, which is within the family of prize fighting, they spend a lot of time building the backstory, building the story of the competitors and how we arrived at this particular match. Even then, there is a story to be told. And wrestling is fundamentally about storytelling. And I'm going to argue throughout in the years to come as we do this, that wrestling is always about storytelling and that everything that we're going to talk about is the playing out of some story that has a reference to some great human theme. Uh, and that's what makes it really, really essential. Now, I will tell you that there are a couple of other... Um, things that some might consider characteristic wrestling and others might not. One is that uh, Brian Solomon points out that especially in the 21st century, um, but to some extent throughout all of its history, wrestling has been a form of business that it exists for profit wrestlers and to a greater extent, the promoters involved. And I think in, in large scale, that is true, but there is also a sense in which it's not true because you do have a cult of wrestling that has arisen in the backyard. That is not for profit, that it's just for, Kids, you know, kids getting out there, entertaining themselves, and sometimes adults, and they sometimes end up building like a a fan following that becomes very, very. And, and you can look at people like, um, like, uh, um, 
gosh, the, I'm, the name's drawn a blank. Come on, uh, help me out. The he's with Sting right now in AEW. Darby Allen. Darby Allen. Darby Allen. Darby Allen. You know, has roots in that kind of tradition. This sort of uh, alternative wrestling. This uh, very. Um, um, oh gosh, I hate to call it, but it's 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 even more. I don't even call it extreme, but it's even more unstructured than what ECW was doing. And so even though business is important, I don't think that business fits the criteria of being essential to what it is to be pro wrestling because there is a whole cultist that has arisen around just the art of backyard wrestling. And I don't encourage that, but it does exist. Well, and I think that too attributes to the rise that we see now in independent wrestling organizations. Um, indie wrestling as people refer to it. I mean, there's, you know, and, and indie wrestling has been around forever, but I feel like because of social media and things like that, it, it's just so much more prominent in, in this point in history, because there's so much of a platform to get that out there. So you talk about guys like Darby Allen. I mean, he's reached the heights that he has because you could see him on social media. You know, if he was halfway across the country wrestling somewhere, you could still watch his matches as opposed to the days when, if you didn't have a television deal, you couldn't be seen. So, you know, this stuff has been around, but we've just kind of entered into this phase of history where everything, it, everything can be broadcast everywhere, you know, through social media, through technology. And so that is becoming a lot more prominent. Now, when we talk about that in terms of business, you know, I would agree with Solomon in the sense that ultimately those promotions are trying to be a business. But I see the point that you're trying to make where, you know, there's a lot of guys who go into it just for the pure love of it. They're not trying to make money. Those individuals, they're not trying to necessarily make a career out of it. They're just doing it for the enjoyment of of the sport of pro wrestling. And there's that guy that does the, uh, this is for all the juggalos and juggalettes. And he like flips off his trampoline onto a a plywood piece with Legos all over it or something. Is that just me? No, no. You're that, and that, that <laughs> but, but there is a sense too, in which uh, if you strip out the business imperative in wrestling, does that not meet the criteria of pro wrestling? I mean, maybe, maybe what Brian Solomon, who we know I'm not here to contradict him at all. And I don't think I am when we're getting at professional wrestling, maybe the professional dimension of it is what separates it from the more cruder, backyard and you might even call it non-professional wrestling but it's certainly a it's certainly a relative i think we have to acknowledge that so that's kind of like our definition you can see how we broke it down that it it is to restate it's an athletic sport and a form of performance art in which two or more prize fighters engage in simulated combat under predefined stipulations in order to reach a pre-established goal and or to further along a narrative and so I th that's why I feel that definition is superior to most every other definition, except for the Citizen uh, Marino definition, which still stands atop the, the mountaintop as the greatest definition for the sport. <clears throat> yeah. And I'll jump in. I mean, with the, you know, my, my favorite part of that definition being that it pushes along a narrative. Cause to me, that is the ultimate thing that sets apart pro wrestling from everything else. I mean, there's, you go through this list and there's a lot of things that are unique to the sport of pro wrestling. But to me, that's, that's the one it furthers along an intentional narrative and it tells a story. I mean, you can, you can see stories happen organically in things like baseball. If you talk about, you know, we're big Braves fans, you can talk about the story of the Braves and the franchise. And I mean, there's stories that happen just because of that competition organically, but in professional wrestling, there is a, 
a planned out story that is supposed to engage the watcher, the the observer, supposed to you know pull you in and, and keep you interested. And to me, that's really the the most important for me personally, in my opinion, that would be the most important bullet on that list where if that one was completely erased, I would almost not consider it pro wrestling. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. To me, that again, those are those are as as I look at it, those are the elements that are um, are really a you know you've got incidents of wrestling, and that it, that has to do with the specific instances of these things being demonstrated. Whether it be you know the Midnight Rider versus Ric Flair, those are that the Ric Flair as important as as he is to wrestling, he his existence is incidental to wrestling. It's an accident of history. It's a great accident. But if you took away Ric Flair, yeah, the wrestling sport would be different. He contributed so much, but you would still have wrestling. Wrestling pre-existed Ric Flair. You take away the narrative, you don't have wrestling anymore. You take away one of those elements, and I saved, I think, the best for last, furthering a narrative. Those are what really uh, comprise the S, what are essential to the sport and make it unique and and, uh, why it stands apart from every other thing. Even though some of these elements might be present in other sports, as Marty Bell says, and I love saying this, pro wrestling is all of this. It is penultimate. It represents the perfect convergence of all these things. Um, and uh, on top of that, when we get beyond characteristics or, or the essential components of wrestling, we have to look at wrestling as a genre. It's a literary form. Um, it's multiple literary forms. <clears throat> you know, you've got wrestling as a ghost story. And I love this. I love this a lot. I really firmly believe. We, we are big in this in this community. We are big fans of rock and roll. We're big fans of baseball, and we're big fans of pro wrestling. But when you think about it, each of these each of these have the same charm in, in the sense that they're all rooted in a ghost story, you know. And I'm not talking about ghost story in the way that Gary is was ghosted in the past by ex girlfriends. Or anything like that. I'm talking about that's clever. See, now he's fired shots at both of us. You know what? I'm just more disappointed that you're not talking about real ghost stories. You're talking I was picturing you were about to tell me a story of like if you still sometimes they say if you walk in the backstage of the St. Louis Arena, you can hear Hercules's chains rattling around his neck. <laughs> you know, they're yeah, and, you, and, and when you were naming when you're naming all the things that we're fans of, you forgot to mention whiskey and Chinese buffets. Those are the other two things that we're big fans of. But go ahead. Man, I love those. Well, there is. The I'll, be, I'll be honest, though. I'm not racist. I'll take any buffet, really. But Chinese buffet is especially good. Unless you're in Grimsley, Tennessee, and then, <laughs> and then it's a little. Well, and yeah, and that's and that's why I bring that up, because that's 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 we have partaken of a Chinese buffet together as as one unit. And I didn't see anybody stick to one plate and quit. So uh, you did. I well, uh, if you, I got my plate, and then I had a little bit of Jello afterwards. So, but I think I had one plate. I was like, uh, I'm gonna. I've got some checks mixed back in the room. <laughs> and you, and you <laughs> I, were the first person dog. to eat that Jello. <laughs> 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 um, man, no, no, you know, if you sit around the fire at night, you could hear the gobbledygooker. <laughs> whales in the woods <laughs> well there is the legend of el santos you know uh, a uh, a famous luchador whose spirit still permeates uh, mexican wrestling and, and folklore there and uh, there is there is legit ghost stories associated with with uh pro wrestling i mean some of the things that turn up like even some of the 
the narratives that that will like to refer to like the narrative of the black scorpion or some of the stuff that undertaker delves into is rooted in is rooted in real darker ghostly spookier sides of the sport and even even you know recently with like Danhausen and and Sting's whole gimmick you know is based upon the crow imagery so you got that but i'm thinking more about uh about wrestling being rooted in um in in um urban tales urban legends you know like um uh, look at william patrick corgan i think he's a good representative of this he's a rock god he's a huge chicago cubs fan and he's the president of the National Wrestling Alliance. When you see him with a Cubs hat on, you see the convergence of all these three trends from these three forms of entertainment in one. You look at the history of rock and roll. Where's rock and roll rooted at? Well, it's rooted obviously well into Appalachia and rockabilly and this and that. But the the really defining story is the story of Robert Johnson selling his soul to the devil on the crossroads. Did that really happen? No, it didn't happen. But it speaks to the the suplex the devil that was my favorite part of that story yeah <laughs> that's good he the shadowy the shadowy nature of that though and so much of like robert johnson's music now this is the man who according to eric clapton wrote every chord that you ever hear in rock and roll he said you know you don't ever hear a chord without hearing robert johnson because he wrote them all but and the these sinister darker elements and a lot of that is fueled by racism and discrimination and jim crow for sure um and there's this self-identity with the devil because, you know, historically um, in white parlance, the devil was referred to as the black man, which could be taken as either Negro or Native American. It's very evil and wicked, but but they that that flavored the culture. And if you listen to Robert Johnson's music, it's very dark. Hellhound on our trail, uh, me and the devil blues, you know, um, it, it's there. And in a similar way, baseball, we don't quite know. There's a, I have a whole book called. You didn't even baseball. say Crossroads and all of that. I didn't feel like you said Crossroads. Yeah, he says there's a song called The Crossroads, you know, and, yeah. and, and, uh, that. I like that song. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love Robert. My wife and I have been to Charming. We were married in New Orleans and there's, uh, there's the Preservation Hall where you can go and listen to, you know, jazz students play the great tunes of the great blues jazz legends and Robert Johnson inevitably gets played and you go to Lafitte's blacksmith shop and they'll play me and the devil blues or sweet home Chicago. And you just feel the spirits around you just like you do with baseball. I have a book called uh, baseball in the garden of Eden. We don't know how baseball began. We think it began or evolved from rounders or something like that, but there was a long movement for a long time trying to point out that baseball was a distinctly American thing. There's the Abner Doubleday legend. There's the legend of Elysian Fields. But when you walk out to the Elysian Fields today, it's very haunted. Like you're there and you feel the spirits of, you know, of, of all these legends and founders of baseball there. And wrestling is the exact same way. When we get in talking about the roots of wrestling in ancient Greek, you know, pancreation, then we get into the really kind of eerie and creepy carny land, you know, the traveling fun shows. It's creepy. And we de- we can't quite pinpoint when wrestling emerged, and maybe it didn't emerge. Maybe it emerged through several fountains, and that's okay. Eventually, it can- became what we know as pro wrestling. But wrestling is fundamentally like baseball and rock and roll. It's fu- it's fundamentally at its base a ghost story. It's born in the shadows. Yeah, and one of the things that I, I don't think people realize a lot, and we we talked about, you know, some of the stigma that comes along with pro wrestling and and its fan base. But the thing that people overlook a lot is the creativity and the edginess that is really a central focal point of pro wrestling and its origin. Uh, kind of to your point that 
I mean, same thing with rock and roll where it's like, you know, that that's a that's a form of expression that's edgy. Right. It's not your traditional music. It's outside the norm. And now it's very much popular. So we don't really view it that same way. But when you talk about the roots of it, it was a way to express, you know, not necessarily just negative emotions, but it was a way to express yourself in a way that was outside of the normal, you know, perceived uh, realm of how to express yourself, you know, as, as culturally accepted. So, I mean, wrestling is very much the same thing. And so it, it's, it, the, naturally those darker tones come out because of that, you know, rooting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think rock and roll kind of embraces that mystery too, you know, obviously with bands like Motley Crue and stuff like that, wrestling has obviously embraced it. Some of the most beloved, uh, personalities and stories involve these very dark themes, but even baseball. I mean, baseball is like the American League was considered the very crude, ungodly league because they allowed drinking and tobacco and they played games on Sundays, which was very much against the the accepted Judeo Christian values of the time. And the the you know the National League was the was the gentleman's league, and the American League was the the dark league, and and that's the where the sinners go, you know. So you have this ghost story, this sinister nature about it that's really really cool and unique to wrestling, uh, and and those those uh, families. But then wrestling is also urban legend, like so much of 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 what grows up around grows up around local heroes. I think of um, a, a person we'll talk about later. A guy named William Richardson, who was a um, who was an early carnival wrestler, who built up this reputation by going town to town, and um, you know, it was our guy from our town against your guy from your town. You know, a lot of times, and and if you represented a certain village or a town, man, the 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 community got behind you. And so there's a lot of urban legend too, and that's sort of it's hard to separate urban legend from ghost story, but it's there. And one of my favorites uh, uh, forms of the genre that wrestling takes on is, is it's, local. A, it's the one where uh, where where Alec. If you say Alexander Hairstone in the mirror five times, he appears behind you and flexes. <laughs> Why do I feel like you've actually done that? <laughs> Try it. It doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> you have to turn off the lights or something. I don't know, but that's my favorite. My favorite is the Alexander Hammerstone urban legend. Though. Yeah, you, you have to take your shirt off. Did you do it with your shirt on or? Oh, oh tonight, yeah. baby. Tonight, take your shirt off. Down. Get ready. If that doesn't work. Then the pants, and then well, yeah, there's the immersion taking off clothes. Jelly too. Jelly. If you a tub of jelly or Jello, any sort of gelatin product will help that bring will help you help extract the spirit of Hammerstone. You may haunt me, Hammerstone, but I'll haunt your dreams. <laughs> oh man. Um, I don't want to belabor this too much, but you've got uh, you've got wrestling as a as a it's a ghost story genre form. It's an urban legend. It's local cultural patriotic myth where wrestling has often been a vehicle to communicate local or national pride. And we all have been acquainted with this. And when you talk to Marty Bell, Gary, she is so proud of her Dominican heritage and and what wrestling has meant to her that if it weren't for that. Have that rooting, she might not ever have gone into pro wrestling. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's very true. I mean, she she definitely talked about uh, just the the history of it and the NWA and that sort of thing. You could tell there was there was something there to that. I mean, you can tell that with the, all the people um, there. They they take great pride in it. Yeah, uh, I mean, wrestling has been a vehicle to communicate local national pride against perceived ills of foreigners, 
whether foreign immigrants or state players representing hostile nations. We have like Baron von Raschke, Fritz von Erich at a time when we had just, uh, you know, we were in the World War II era and the Germans were the evil. Obviously, the Cold War, you know, with Ivan Koloff, uh, Nikolai Volkov, Nikita Koloff, all those. Uh, immigration, particularly from Central and uh, Eastern Europe, was a major factor in the transmission of Western tradition from Europe to the United States. And many of the early uh, legends of the sport were immigrants from, you know, from Eastern Europe, second generation or first generation Americans, guys like George Hackenschmidt, uh, Stanislaus Abisko, and so forth. And the wrestling narrative is even played on very touchy national issues. Like when, you know, during the Gulf war, when, when to the shock of everyone, Sergeant Slaughter, one of the great heroes, betrayed his country to support Baathist Iraq and come out as a, a sympathizer for Saddam Hussein. So wrestling has delved into national, cultural, propaganda, um, patriotic myth from multiple times. It's a, one of the great common themes when it takes on this. And, this. And I could be wrong about this. And, and maybe when we get into like the actual origin, um, it's different. But at least as long as I can remember wrestling another thing that has set it apart is there's always been a multinational multicultural representation you know whereas as you mentioned because of even things like racism and stuff like that in the early days i mean there was not a lot of diversity in baseball or football or things like that whereas wrestling there's always been multiple nationalities represented there's always been uh, you know they've they've not only just embraced but they celebrate the other cultures as, as characters and things like that. And even if they weren't, even, even if they weren't celebrating them, um, they were including them in the discussion. Like, like that's a great point. Will. I haven't thought of, even if, even if it was like with say Baron Von Raschke or Fritz or the Von Erich name, you know, Fritz Von Erich before, before they became the Texas darlings, he was the evil German, you know? And, uh, um, even if it was, it was never really, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm certain, I, I've listened to a shoot interview with the great Rocky King, and, and most most wrestlers who are persons of color have, have stories of having to navigate difficult cultures and situations and feeling the pangs of, uh, and the, the, the great evils of racism, uh, but, but wrestling has always been self-consciously always been self-consciously inclusive of culture. Culture has been one of the driving points of narrative and for good or ill, I think that's been one of the great vehicles for, for opening America up uh, to acceptance of culture. You know what I mean? I, I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, I, I think, I mean, there, there's always arguments to be made that it could have like moved along faster and, and that sort of thing. But I mean, there's stories you can hear even back in the civil rights days of uh, what's the what's the guy, um, uh, was it who is the guy that that is it Pee Wee, uh, God I can't or Pinky no God I can't think of the guy's name so I feel stupid now but anyway he he would he he always hung out with like black people like it he was the one that got them like into the building and like the promoters like pushed him more. Because like he he would sit with them in their section when everything was segregated and and that sort of thing. I always thought that was a cool story. And I feel bad that I can't remember the guy's name right off the top of my head. Yeah, um, I mean, I I I look back and I watch some some promos from like the seventies and early eighties, and sometimes they're really cringeworthy. Like 
you know, and I'm not one that that wants to go back and, and you know, we got it when when we cringe at it. I think that's a that's a sign of advancement that we've gotten better. You know, what's evil now is evil then too. But it, it, for, in people in other cultures, it's not always as easy to see. You know, I like to think I'm from Georgia. Uh, we're we're all Georgia boys here. Uh, Will, you're you're a Georgia boy. Are you a South Carolina native? Mm-mm. South Carolina. South Carolina. That's even worse, man. Very likely. Oh, I mean, well, no, no, and I don't. You know, I love being from the South, and I am a. You know, a lot of people assume that because I'm, a, and I'm not trying to delve politically here, so don't take me wrong. But a lot of people assume that because I'm a Republican and because I, you know, am from the South, that I'm a uh, pro some kind of neo Confederate. That I would have <laughs> for the Southern guys in the Civil War. And you know, I mean, there's something to be said for virtue, uh, for virtuous people that are. Certain, you know, providing duty to their nation. But I would like to think that if I had been alive in those days, that I would have stayed true to the to the to my allegiance to the Union, like George Thomas did. And uh, I'm a very pro Abraham Lincoln guy, and that's where my that's what I did my dissertation on, and this and that. So, um, you know, I hate I hate judging people retroactively in terms of modern day values, but our values inform us, and it's a sign of progress. But there are things that I watch in the, you know, from the 70s and 80s that really make my skin crawl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Well, yeah. and that's I think that's a different discussion, you know, in terms of whether or not people were treated fairly. But I think my point was just that, you know, if you think of 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 the squared circle as a stage, which it truly is, pro wrestling has never shied from putting all nationalities, all ethnicities on stage. And, you know, the light that they paint them in, that's a different conversation. Um, but, you know, when you think about baseball being segregated and football being segregated and them not even allowing other ethnicities to be a part, at least wrestling was was inclusive in that way. Yeah. And that's where I was heading with that. Like even even as much as I cringe at some of that, at least there was the vehicle. At least you had you had uh, persons like Chief Wahoo McDaniel or Bobo Brazil or Carlos Colon being portrayed in an overwhelmingly positive and popular light, in spite of the uh, of of the of the things that they, that we're more sensitive to now today. So it's just uh, you know you're 100 percent right. Wrestling has always been one of the most inclusive sports. Yeah, and uh, Sputnik Monroe was the name of the guy that I was trying to think of earlier um, who would, like, you know, I, I don't know all the details of the story, so I don't want to jump ahead, but but essentially was, like, the guy who would invite uh, a lot of, like, he was big in the black community and would invite folks there during that time where everything was supposed to be segregated, and uh, he was uh, a big part of that. And I remember, like, one of the stories was, well, we'll get to it one day, but he picked up, like, a black hitchhiker, and uh, and people at the arena gave him crap about it, and he, like, kissed the guy on the cheek, and that was, like, seen as, like, this huge thing, and um, but he... He just wouldn't tolerate it. So he and then and used it to his advantage. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it got him over in the industry, too. But, you know, but it just uh, it's a, it's a, it's just a, an example of a story where, where, you know, inclusivity was was a part of something in wrestling. It's the same with all this stuff. I'm joking around with you. I mean, I, I but I mean, the I think you make a good point with like the urban legends and the ghost stories and the patriotic myths like you talked about with Sergeant Slaughter, like patriotism's always been a huge thing from Hulk Hogan, you know, I mean, way beyond before that, too. But I mean, that that was like Hulk Hogan's bread and butter. And uh, mm-hmm. that was a that was a big thing for him. Um, and then, yeah, the ghost stories like baseball when you had that. Uh, uh, what was his name? Like uh, knuckleball 
Monroe or something like that. I don't remember that guy. That just, that you had his face painted like a baseball. Knuckleball Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> it was something like that. But, but, the, but also the national <laughs> I mean, to hear Marty Bell talk about it in the Dominican, you know, like the Jack, uh, Jack Venegno, um, just, you know, the, the story of him beating Ric Flair for the NWA title, whether or not it's recognized by the National Wrestling Alliance, that story. I mean, there's a freaking statue for that guy. Yeah. In the Dominican right now. I mean, that's it's a big deal. Wrestling carries a lot of weight in a lot of places. And as far as they're concerned, what, what whatever is or is not officially recognized in the Dominican, the Nano is is a former NWA world champion. And you cannot convince anybody otherwise. You know what I mean? And and I, I'm of the thought that maybe, you know, maybe we maybe we have a much more palatable uh ownership and, and presidency right now in the NWA, but I, I I would have no problem with going back and retroactively acknowledging that. And I don't think Ric Flair would either, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely not. So uh, driving on with to to kind of round out our our literary discussion here, um, we don't want to 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 make this overly academic here, but uh, wrestling is also, you know, comes across in the genre of morality play. You know, it became a little confused during the Attitude Era when, you know, the bad guys were now being cheered. It, it was it was becoming cool to 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 spit in the face of accepted social norms and values. But historically, you know, wrestling was a real simple tale of good versus evil. It always has been, you know, the good guys versus the bad guys. The whole concept of babyface versus heel is built around that whole notion of good versus evil. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and, I, and I think you mentioned the attitude era, like uh, not to get into like a moral gray area. And, and obviously there was things that happened in the attitude era that now you look at them and you're like, well, that was in poor taste. But wrestling has always been really in tune like- we know you're overly concerned about good guys versus bad guys. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. But, but they, but they were always at least in tune with culture. Like, it, like wrestling is, is not so out of touch that when they do that, it is uh, so countercultural that it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, that was a time period in which it was cool to buck authority and they were just simply taking that and putting it into, you know, pro wrestling story form. So, you know, again, like whether or not ultimately we think that that's right or wrong or good or evil, um, wrestling is at least in touch with with the culture and it kind of follows that same narrative. Yeah. Here, I got a little challenge for you, um, for both of you, um, going on to the the next to last literary genre that I think wrestling represents. Wrestling, I think, draws upon um, epic poetry, uh, ancient heroes, mythology, biblical illusion, uh, illusions from comparative religion. But I'm going to throw out a characteristic, and you tell me if you can immediately think of someone who today might fall into this category. Okay? So, first, the saint. Who is this? Who would be one of the great saints? John Cena. Hmm? And this Saint is not right or wrong. This isn't right or wrong. It's just because it speaks to what you think. Well, why are we even doing this, Rob? <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a winner. To illustrate a point, yeah. <laughs> you think Sting? Sting, obviously. Uh, yeah, Sting would definitely be a saint. I mean, you know, I, I would put Cena in there just because of his virtue and, and his, you know, his character for sure. Tim Storm obviously fits into that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jungle you've got- Boy. <laughs> <Marco's son. laughs> 
All right, now this is an easy one. The demonic. That's the oh, fiend. Yeah. You gotta get the fiend. You gotta get Kane. Yeah. You gotta get Boogeyman. Undertaker. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. How is Undertaker fourth on your list? Because <laughs> he's sort of. Did Saint you say the Boogeyman uh, before Undertaker? I sure did. Come on, I sure did. man. I, I listen. I'm just going off your rules. You want to talk about ghost stories and urban <laughs> legends? Look, man, coming to get you. It'd be like me saying, "All right, real quick, the most devastating finish maneuver," and you come out with the Scandinavian Scandinavian two-toed gradenza. You skip right past the Russian sickle and the pile driver. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even know what the Scandinavian two-toed gradenza is. So that's uh, well, that's next, next time we, devastating. Next, next time we hang out, Rob will show you. <laughs> all right here we go the tragic hero oh man tragic hero tommy dreamer tommy dreamer is a good one i didn't think of him <laughs> the hero who, who yeah. just falls short yep i think of like <laughs> <laughs> even though even though he won even though he won the title i think of like ronnie garvin always just coming up short man like he knew he knew he had the number of flair every time but he always came up just he eventually did win the belt held it for a little bit of time but i think of like ronnie garvin as being a guy that just was so well liked he he didn't have the best you know he wasn't a five-tool athlete he did he wasn't the best on the mic people liked him because he was real but he always seemed to just fall short you know well, if you're talking to marco stunt <laughs> I, I mean, love you, Marco. You, I'm just kidding, but you know, sure. if you're talking current times, I mean, Kevin Owens is playing out that story right now yeah. with Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've had multiple incredible matches, but every time he just gets, a, you know, outwitted a little bit or outperformed, and he's playing that character right now. Yeah. What about the anti-hero? Mm, well, there's a Stone uh, Cold right there. Yeah, CM Punk. Obvious. Obvious. All right, and now my maybe my favorite, the misunderstood villain. Mm, Sting, the current iteration of Sting and Darby Allen, that whole dynamic. Um, man, I'd say the of course Yeti. they're not villains though, right? WCW. Well, I use villain just as as just a perception tool. You know, you're perceived gotcha, as a yeah. villain, but you're really misunderstood. It's not that you're evil; it's that you're ambitious, you're self interested, and self interest isn't necessarily wrong. I think of. Uh, Honestly, I think of uh, Josephus, the enlightened one, who is motivated by a certain principle. It's not an evil principle, but it does guide his path. And Bro, that, on NWA Power, he threw powder in Colt Cabana's face. Well, Tim Storm took 2% of his vision. <laughs> yeah. Tim Storm, we established as the saint. This is the perfect time Tim you can Storm. lean on. Like, a, What about like Roman Reigns? Roman Reigns fits yeah. that. Yes. Like, right? Like he's just he's concerned yeah. about him and his and... That's Think what about he Star worries Wars. About. Like, like when we get into the Star Wars debate, are the Sith about, really- It's a wrestling podcast. Yeah, yeah. But- <laughs> oh, if this is a Star Wars podcast, I got to go because I got to <laughs> The Sith are not, you know, the Sith are like, when Palpatine is, uh, is sitting on the throne, he's motivated by, I mean, yeah, obviously he, yeah, they destroyed planets with the Death Star and this and that. We got to, there's those minor technicalities, but he was, you have to acknowledge that he was motivated by a certain power principle and justice principle and he was he was anti he was motivated by the he was impelled to react against the corruption that had overtaken the republic and i think nick aldis represents that too nick aldis is motivated by a power and ambition principle you we're know? not even going to dwell very this? long on the fact that you know 
just saying, we'll move along, but I'm just going to point out your Republican sensibilities and you trying to justify Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I will say uh, that you see this all the time. I mean, uh, this is a very common heel tactic where you know you look at a guy like your your all-time favorite wrestler rob randy orton you know he'll come out and he'll he'll he he always operates under the impression that what he's doing is noble even though we know it's not right so even so it's that kind of false sense of of morality or false sense of honor that you know a heel or a villain will will portray and that that's yeah it's super common or the foundation in Ring of Honor, you know, they they their 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 dedication to the pure pure mentality is almost becoming obnoxious and and mm-hmm. almost dictatorial to where this is the, this is the, one of the great heel factions in the making. But what they're motivated by really is justice and honor. You know, mm-hmm. just, they're they're you know they're not they're they have poor bedside manners, I guess. We can't spend all day on this, but where does Doink land? That's the real question. <laughs> He's the anti-hero. Right. Okay. Well, well, finally, wrestling is theater drama too. Okay. We we alluded to this. It's a careful choreographed arrangement of dance, athleticism, spectacle, music, storytelling, cosmetics, aesthetics. It can be conceived of as the most comprehensive, complete, again, to quote Marty Bell, penultimate form of 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 human experience. Yeah, Marty Bell dropped the word penultimate and you just you're you're just hanging on every syllable since then. Yeah, if y'all say it like if y'all say it three more times, I'm gonna have to look it up because now I feel lost. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That 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 is what we are going to be talking about. Um it is uh wrestling That's a preview is- for this show. Yeah. <laughs> now we're getting to- Wrestling All right, let's get started. Wrestling, <laughs> it's important that wrestling is not purely any one of those things, but at some point or another, it draws from all of those things. It draws from all of those aspects. That makes perfect sense. But so now that we got the definition of what pro wrestling is, and believe me, there, there are so many rules and match types. We kind of hit on that and we will get to all of it more. So stick with us. It's all coming. Let's talk about, I mean, what we promise here, too, is that how did it get started? Like, where did this come from? I would say, personally, I mean, I've been kind of joking about it, but first things first, mankind happened. Not Mick Foley, but like mankind, like in general, humankind. Uh, However you think we got here, uh, literally, it feels like wrestling has been a thing since since we we arrived. Uh, like when cavemen needed to eat their next meal and they fought each other for it. That technically counts for me for like what wrestling turned out to be. They eventually learned weapons, not steal chairs or anything. They used clubs or something, but uh, they they probably had hand-to-hand bouts. They, that were probably all the rage back in the early days of human history, right, Rob? Yeah, yeah, man. You're starting to bear into the, uh, the theological there. I thought we were going to get the Pastor Gary here. Leading us on wrestling revival. Would you please open up your books to Genesis chapter one? Ha! Amen. I said, Do you know ha, when you realize ha? <laughs> That's good stuff, man. Um, oh, Lord, I mean, it's just, this is my favorite story. This is my favorite story. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you all for being here. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I th- you're right, man. I think you're right. Wrestling is, and, and again, you're going to have purists are going to be like, well, that's not real. That's distinct from wrestling, but wrestling is distinct from wrestling. I mean, over time, wrestling has evolved. And I think wrestling is huge, is rooted in what we have said earlier. It's rooted in competition, ambition, and conflict. And, and anybody who has a sibling knows that wrestling began, at least for you, the day that your sibling was born or, or you were born. Because my brother has been kicking my tail under the guise of pro wrestling since my earliest memories. You know, like I said, I bear this scar, this hideous scar on my forehead that chicks think is really cool. Uh, the chicks think is really cool. I thought I messed up my subject verb agreement there for a second. Sorry about that. But, um, and that's, 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 that's very refined. I had to say it again to make sure it sounded right. But we appreciate everybody who's still listening. This is why we brought the doc on the show and also why we have to keep a leash on him. Welcome to our, our new show. This is subject verb conjugation. Look, Look at, look at like, there's this really adorable TikTok. I'll share it later on our Discord or something. But it's these two infant twins. You know, they're they're a little male, uh, a brother and a sister, and they're not, but a couple months old. But their interaction is like so adorable, and they're like fighting too. They're starting, they'll start smacking each other, and like the 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 conflict, the competition principle is embedded in the human DNA. You know what I mean? It's hardwired into us, and and you see this. From the most ancient of times, I mean, we see graphic depictions of one-on-one combat in ancient Mesopotamia and Egypt. And maybe if you're watching the video version of this, Gary can eventually put up a picture of tomb drawings from Bakhti III, who was an ancient Egyptian bureaucrat from the 11th dynasty. This is the 21st century BC now. Oh, I keep those in my wallet. Yeah, sure. I'm on it. (laughs) But it depicts, I'm telling you, it depicts a detailed catalog of wrestling maneuvers. Obviously, we don't, there's not any commentary. I'm looking at it right now. There's not any commentary associated with this, but it looks like moves that we would see today. I mean, I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing a suplex. I'm seeing a headlock. I'm seeing an Irish whip. I'm seeing a Scandinavian two-toed gradunza. I'm seeing an arm bar. I see missionary. <laughs> Are we looking at the same thing? <laughs> you need to get a pull up your other tab. Yeah, which picture? <laughs> You're on the wrong tab. <laughs> that's, for the, that's for the After Dark podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pro wrestling After Dark. Cinema, cinema schlong. <laughs> that's for Cinema Schlong. So, <laughs> anyway, which is uh, one that. <laughs> My other anyway, podcast. Thank you. This, this yeah. got creepy. Yeah. Didn't mean to. They draw me into this evil man again. Heroes well, and rated until Rob came along, Presbyterian. Right. Um, you see wrestling. You receive at least the concept of red. The, the term wrestling is used. Obviously, we're, in top, we're not talking about two out of three falls to a sixty-man time limit. But we see the concept of wrestling one-on-one dual combat with with two participants under pre-established parameters with specific. Uh, stipulations driving a narrative. We see that in the book of Genesis, obviously, where uh, Joseph wrestles with the angel. Uh, the apostle Paul uses the term wrestling to describe spiritual warfare. Um, and, um, you know, it's it's just, it, it's there's concept of combat under the guise of wrestling is present in ancient literature. Pancration. We still have pancration today as a distinct martial art. There are pancration championships. Um, I think WWE front row might be familiar with this. Um, 
He's a, stud, a student of martial arts, but um, <clears throat> it, it is a Greek innovation in which meanness uh, was added to traditional wrestling. So we have the emergence of the heel craft, you know, where uh, you had a legitimate combat sport uh, that became really vicious and someone could be actually in real life, seriously injured or even killed uh, in, in this type of competition. Um, similar to the tradition of ancient Sparta, in which there were literally no holds barred, biting, eye gouging. Um, and some would say that pancreation is the wellspring of, of many varieties, uh, varieties of martial arts, uh, spreading first to India, then China, ultimately around the world. And in the Western tradition, it comes to expression in what we would come to know as catch-as-catch-can wrestling, which is no doubt, I think everyone would agree, is a direct descendant of, or a direct, um, a direct forebearer of professional wrestling. So you've got this pancreation going through these various cultural iterations through Eastern Asia, and uh, and eventually making itself across the world into catch-as-catch-can wrestling uh, over time and through several evolutions. Um, so. I can't believe you just like sped you dragged ass this whole time. And then you get to the Bible verse and then you just like jumped right over it. Like you were talking about Genesis 32, 22 through 31. And you got here Ephesians 6, 12 through 13. Um, man, I looked up, I looked up like 22 through 31. I even put it in my notes. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. We're using NIV because we're, we're not heated. <laughs> After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. It's the Kingsland Cloverleaf. It's Nick Aldis's finisher. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. That, that's that, like he's wrestling. He's wrestling with an angel. Or, or perchance, like Shawn Michaels, uh, Vince McMahon beat Shawn Michaels and his tag team partner, God, that one time. I don't know if you saw that, but that happened. Well, I think I think what I heard in that narrative is uh, there was a tap out, and it appeared to be a name versus name match because uh, he got a new name. <laughs> well, nobody tapped. That's the thing. Like the guy tried to get him to tap. He put his hip out of socket. He tried to get Joseph or, or Jacob to tap, and Jacob wouldn't tap. That was the thing. It was, they it they was went like, to the time. They went to the time limit. Yeah, it was like a time limit draw. It was daybreak. That was the time limit. And the angel's like, "Yo, I gotta get home." You gotta, you gotta, you gotta let me go. <laughs> Jake, the, like, the wouldn't that, wouldn't that be out. cool if they did? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be cool if that was like the time limit on matches? Now it's like you know, it's the Day final break. match of Monday Night Raw, and they're like, yeah, this match it goes until the sunrise. A uh, 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 one fall to daybreak. <laughs> I want you to know that uh, I was uh, replied to my wife who's in a group text uh, who just sent me this thing. And somehow Siri recorded everything I just said, starting with, uh, I can't believe you just dragged ass the whole time when you get to the Bible verse. And then 
me reading that whole thing, although except it ends in something about Nicholas's furniture and the man said, let me go. But anyway, I sent that to the group text just so everybody's on the same page. It's just, uh, <laughs> they're going to be like, what the, the hell just happened? But no, no, Rob, I, I, I'm sorry. I just jumped in there because you just like, you kind of sped through that, but I loved looking up some of this history. Like wrestling has existed uh, forever. Like it's just been all over the place. I, I saw stuff in like, even if you go back into ancient India in the Hindu religion, one of their epics, there's a whole story about, uh, pardon me, I'll probably mess this up. I'll butcher it. But uh, Mahabharata, and uh, it's, that's that's the book, I think, and the great ruler, Jer Asanda, and an epic battle with Beam. Uh, Krishna was like his manager in the corner, like guiding him. And they're like fighting it out. And essentially, like Krishna has to like guide him to like, no, you got to tear this guy in half to win the match. And so he does. And like, it's just, it's crazy. And all the way back to the 2700 BC, like Gilgamesh, like the epic tell it Gilgamesh. And, uh, and then you go into like, uh, well, anyway, sorry, I'm just, I'm just like rambling, but there's just like so many stories about wrestling matches all through ancient history. Yeah. And, and first of all, next time you quote uh, an Indian source or say an Indian name, since we're like number 57 in India, it might be good to make sure those pronunciations are correct. And they may have been be honest. I, I'm going to be honest with you, Rob, just because of that very fact, uh, just a little peek behind the curtain. I did Google all of those pronunciations. Oh, man. <laughs> and, I never and I wrote them phonetically in my notes. I never doubted you. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> we see I anything cool, like be a little iffy on it. But I, I did. I wrote them, uh, you know, I wrote them phonetically. Man, the, and, and none of us are going to try to sit here and say, look, this is wrestling as we know it today. That's not the point. The point is the the concept of, of combatant sport, um, you know, has been around. It's as old as time. I mean, it's it's in the original Olympic Games lasting from the 700 BCs uh, to the AD 300s. Uh, there were at least three combat sports, pancreation, boxing and wrestling as a separate sport distinct from boxing and pancreation was there. Um, Roman gladiatorial combat obviously placed gladiators in multiple kinds of predicaments, including man-to-man -man combat and would often result in the emergence of major superstars of the day that would be akin to the great wrestling champions of our day. Uh, guys like Flamma, Marcus Attilus, Crixus, Hermes, Spiculus, um, people like that. Um, and then, of course, the modern Western European and American tradition, wrestling appears in at least three guises. And I think what's eventually going to become come represented in the modern sport of pro wrestling is going to contain elements of at least three styles, uh, the collar and elbow style, the Greco-Roman style, and the catches catch can style. Um, well, I just want to say, like, even, even like, I mean, you want to talk about, I, I just brought this in because, uh, you know, you always try to connect these things to, like, intellectual pursuits. Uh, I mean, the forefather of philosophy, Plato, is uh, is his name comes from his wrestling coach. Like his, his means broad because he was talking about his broad shoulders and his wrestling ability. Like he just say his his girth and not that that didn't sound right. But his broad shoulders and <laughs> anyway. Um, 
I mean, if you talk about the first Olympic Games, there's like seven seventy. You, you said seven seven hundreds or so. Um, he was he was like a regular participant. I mean, he's known as Plato for for his philosophy, but he was in like the Isthmian Games as a wrestler and was like super famous. Uh, and these were like in five eighty two BC. And, uh, and that's just, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. I mean, you're talking about an intellectual during the time was also super into wrestling. I just thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. So when you see, when you see collar and elbow style, uh, wrestling that emerges among like American colonists and pioneers and the urban working men, they're not, this is not arising in a vacuum. You know, they're, they're embracing a tradition. It's like when we talk about one of the things we talk about all the time is like, yeah, the NWA was formally founded in 1948, but it's not like they just woke up one day and said, oh, Orville Brown's a champion. There's a reason they made him the champion because he held a championship that had a lineal connection going all the way back to, I'm going to argue even as far back as at least the 1860s. Uh, but even then, it's not like, you know, it's not like they were operating in a vacuum. They, the, just the fact that they were doing that and handing out championships presupposes a tradition or an experience of or knowledge of, hey, what you do is you do this and you give out a title. So it goes back and and when catching uh, when collar and elbow style wrestling arose during the colonial times in America, they did it in the context and with 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 prior knowledge of a tradition of 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 mutual combat, you know, combat combat sports, um, and then. You know, Greco-Roman style represents this deliberate refinement of it. It's a more formal style. You know, you can't have holds below the waist. It's designed to take strength, uh, test strength, skill, agility, but to minimize injury. You find this in the 19th century in France and Central Europe, but it's such a refined sport with a clear set of expectations that it didn't just emerge. I mean, it didn't just happen one day. It happened gradually over time. And the only way that makes sense if it's a, if it's a, building upon a tradition of combat sports, you know, you know what I'm saying? And then uh, of course, catch and catch can is uh, stripping away those rules to make it much more uh, free and much more involvement of the full human body and all, you know, the strength of the legs. And uh, you know, th this is a more dangerous style and it's a style that becomes probably the most interesting to watch, which is why we look at catches catch can as the most clear, direct ancestor of what we now know to be modern pro wrestling, but all three of those traditions inherited, uh, uh, you know, concepts that arose all the way from the ancient of ancients, you know? So I know that a lot of our stuff is going to get into like, uh, you know, North American, uh, situation here in a moment, because that that's what we know is pro wrestling. I think a lot of it comes from there. And, uh, so we'll give credit there, but I mean, just, for it's just do. I mean, yeah. I mean, what Rob's talking about is there's like all these different styles of fighting. I mean, you would almost call them martial arts. I mean, you know, like when you think of martial arts, you're thinking of kung fu and like that kind of thing. But like, there's there's different places produce different things. I mean, like Norway, uh, like settlers in Iceland, uh, like Norwegian settlers in Iceland, they took wrestling from their area over there, and they they started creating. Um, I mean, all the way back to like 1325, there's like stories of their wrestling matches and the, the and they evolved like with the uh, Gleema was like a wrestling style over there where they uh, added belts like the people had to keep on belts. And that's probably 
I think that was in 1905 they introduced the belt, maybe, uh, so they could get a better grip on each other. It's probably, it's like it all evolved. Like, I mean, the most modern representation I could think of is probably like MMA, how like UFC started out as like some kind of blood sport. They would just beat the hell out of each other and there were no rules. And now they've like slowly established like, all right, there's rules here. This is because like in ancient Greece, they were just like, hey man, get naked, lube up. We're going to go at it. And they, they just did. It's like your only places to grab hold of somebody was their penis and their butthole. And you just like stuck a finger up in there. And you're just like, I got a better grip. And you like roll them up for the one, two, three, which is a tactic that, you know, Drew McIntyre might use today. But I don't know. I don't think it's legal. I don't know if you do that. But you just treat them like a, I don't know, like a bowling ball and just roll them up. And <laughs> I don't know. I, anyway, I, I'm, a, I'm a feeling oh, that like, like Gary. Gary would be a huge fan of like pancreation, man, because pancreation was was almost always exercised in the nude. And yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> pancreation. You can't get that on pay per view anymore. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, no, then they had to have the people like scrape them off with those uh, tools. I forget what they call them. Like uh, I looked it up earlier, but anyway. Uh, but no, these guys also put like magical symbols all over their stuff too, so that they had extra power. So anyway, central, I mean, like it's coming from everywhere is my point. Like in central Asia, like Marco Polo explorers like him have stories about Kublai Khan and then Kublai Khan's cousin, uh, Cthulhu, who would only marry a man who could actually beat her in wrestling. And that never happened. She had like, like 10,000 horses for like people she'd beat in wrestling matches. <laughs> like that's just, it's just crazy stuff. Cultures all over the globe had stories about wrestling, like two people hand to hand, like wrestling with each other and trying to outmaneuver each other. But to your point, Rob, just to move this along, uh, we could get into more, uh, carnival stories because around civil war times i mean, it gets to the wake of the civil war uh the uh pro wrestling as we find it today it finds its home in like north america uh the colonies there were pre-spectacle days of course you kind of touched on this colonists from all well wherever they're from immigrants uh, would bring their own abilities and they'd settle disputes with duels and this is like fighting duels not like with guns and stuff, this is pre-guns and knives getting into everything. You had two options. You could do fair, which was like mostly boxing, win by KO or failure to stand by a 30 count. Uh, and they did have rules then, by the way. I mean, it was like a uh, forbidden to attack a downed opponent, that sort of thing. Um, or you could choose rough and tumble rules, which was like no rules, no rules whatsoever. This was mostly in the South. It was uh, what they called otter culture. Uh, your your goal here was to mutilate or disfigure the other person. Eye gouges were like the most popular ways to win. It's like early UFC or, or public high school. Um, anyway, uh, the the where you get modern professional wrestling, from my understanding, Rob, is uh is that it's worth mentioning flat hand wrestling in like 1848. I saw like there was a French showman named Jean Exploit. Uh, he started the circus troupe and he hired the wrestlers. Uh, he established a rule. Like you can't wrestle below the waist. Uh, he called it flat hand wrestling. So it's like, it sounds like sumo uh, essentially in a lot of ways. And, um, it kind of spread through Europe. Uh, 
did mark uh, it went through the austro-hungarian empire according to my notes here italy denmark and russia it went under the name greco-roman which you brought up and uh classic wrestling or french wrestling were other names that it went by by the end of the 19th century uh greco-roman just became like the term for it so there was greco-roman wrestling style uh the biggest guy and that was probably in 1898 i could find was uh paul pons uh he was known as the colossus and he became uh, essentially in that style their first professional world champion and uh but the modern style of professional wrestling popularized in the United States and the United Kingdom during the 19th century is the catch as catch can style that Rob mentioned. Originally, it was kind of treated as unorthodox, uh, more lax. Um, it, it differed in Greco-Roman in that, just to emphasize that a little bit more, it allowed grapples. Greco-Roman uh, didn't allow the grabbing below the waist like I talked about, but Greco uh, catch as catch can allowed holds above and below the waist, uh, including like leg locks, that sort of thing. Uh, both were really popular, fully competitive, amateur and professional during this time. Uh, but from the late 19th century onwards, a subsection of that, of the catch wrestling, uh, changed slowly into what we know as professional wrestling. And now, now it did this uh, by... in where I was going before in the wake of the civil war traveling carnivals became a huge thing. And when they became the rage spectacle was a big deal. And what part of what they would do is, is the carnies, I guess this is where we could first get the use of that term. Technically I mean, they, they called them uh, uh, bookies or something. I think back then, right. Um, yeah, they, it, it's neat that you're in, in your spot on this phenomenon emerges almost simultaneously in Europe or, or in the, in the UK where it goes under the name of, uh, uh, they're called traveling fun fairs and the carny, the carny tradition emerges like at the same time. It's like we were at that state in human development where now, you know what, we're going to have start having traveling fun fairs and people are going to fight there. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I, I, I feel even privileged that you acknowledged me. So thank you so much. Um, the, uh, but yeah, they, they, the carnies started getting big, badass, impressive wrestlers, like guys that were really good at the catch as catch can style. And because they looked cool, like for one, they started discovering they drew money. And then they could put them in fights with like the local tough guy or whatever. And they started realizing people will bet on these fights. This makes them even more money because their guys are that good. Uh, so the wrestlers would just go around in the traveling fair. And one of the things they would do is just challenge and somebody would step up and the wrestler would beat the hell out of them. Um, they'd shoot with them essentially, but somehow somewhere uh, somebody then realized uh, in uh, around the 1920s, and I have a quote about this, actually, but uh, somebody realized that ideally, for the biggest profit, what you got to do is you got to control how this thing ends. You can't let the local tough guy even have an opportunity. How are you going to miss out on this money? You got to make sure your bet's solid. So, so at this time, you might have your guy, but what about the dude who's stepping up? Like, what if this guy really is as tough as his town thinks he is? Uh, so sometimes the bookie would get them in on it. 
and uh, they would set up an allotted amount of time and like this, you're going to last 10 minutes and then you're going to take the plunge. And that's how we do this thing. And uh, that was one way. Or if they weren't in on it, your guy's a hooker, uh, which was another term for it. And uh, a what? (laughs) (laughs) It's like he'll beat you in the back in the tit, and then words yeah, <laughs> he'll hook you, and he's like he'll make you take the fall. That's essentially what it meant. Um, yeah, Luthes' <laughs> book is called Hooker, and uh, just a strange title. Yeah. Days, but yeah. at the time it made sense. Um, but anyway, that guy would be like, "All right, well, you got to force it. You got to make him take the fall." Or if things go south beyond that, they had other methods. Like, uh, get him close to this curtain and we'll billy club him in the back of the head. <laughs> and uh, he'll feel like he got run over by a train. We'll, we'll make sure that our guy wins this match. And uh, his stories are generally unsure from everything I can find. At what point uh, it changed so much from competitive uh, catch wrestling into, uh, you know, I... I don't want to pretend like I'm part of the industry, but we'll call it worked entertainment. Um, but there are some documented things. Brett the Hitman Hart, which is the whole reason I'm uh, I'm here. Um, no, Brett the Hitman Hart, he tells a story in his book about a long, a quote, his quote, a long and fascinating talk he had in the summer of 1981 with Luthes. And uh, Luthes told him that, quote, The business was a total shoot until about 1925 at a time when Jack Dempsey was knocking everyone out in a couple of rounds and Babe Ruth was smashing the home run record in baseball. The average world title match lasted five or six hours and it ended in a stalemate. Ed Strangler Lewis, Thez's mentor, um, he said Ed was impossible to beat. So he eventually worked a title loss just to pump some new blood into the business and make a nice payoff. And that's when everything changed. Now that's according to Brett the Hitman Hart when he says that. And I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but uh, that that's uh, about where that that all started to turn around, right? And it's probably it, it's probably not as definitive or clear cut as that. I mean, I, I certainly. In Luthes's experience, you would have clear shooting going on even up to the 20s. Now, some even dispute that. Uh, I think that it's more important to say, though, that at some point, at some point, there was a transition where we went from, a, a, you know, a combat sport where people got hurt to we got to we entered into what became a business. And it happened at some point, And maybe maybe it was not at a point. Maybe it was at some Maybe it was phased in and then it was different in different areas. Uh, we know that in the 1860s, championships were being won and there were local tough guys that represented regiments. We think of uh, uh, the great Colonel James Hiram McLaughlin, who's one of the you know the forerunners, I think, of the NWA um, and, the, and the 10 pounds of gold. Um, you have shooting going on then, but it almost has, because of the nature of the fun fair or the carnival, it almost seemed, seems impossible to conceive of the fact that there was not um, working going on very, very, very early, well before the 1920s. I mean, um, you know, you, when traveling, when you have people that have their guy making money, I mean, like at, at this point in the fun fairs, you're not, you don't have a, a championship was almost a gimmick itself. You know, you, you might not have someone even 
really win a belt. They just call him this. You know, he carries a trophy and they they designate him as this and they use that as part of the narrative. And in order to sustain that, it only makes sense to sustain that if your guy keeps winning. And to do that, you got to make sure that uh, you know, that that his opponents always lose. And there has to be money involved, especially when you're working for a promoter at a carney. So I, I guess my I think that there's probably some truth to what Bret Hart and what Luthez is saying that you had a lot of shooting going on even up until the twenties. And honestly, you still have it going on today in bits and pieces. People will talk about wrestlers shooting on each other or some, you know, someone drawing real heat and that kind of thing. And again, I'm not a worker. I don't like to use worker language, but uh, but you probably had it gradually phase in over time to where it's not like you woke up in 1900 and suddenly everything was a work. It happened over time, over the course of decades, and probably at different speeds in different parts of the country. Yeah, I think you're 100% right, Rob. There's probably never going to be a definitive time to that. But as we wind now, wind down, one of the most important parts, like I said, I didn't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but in 1861 in Cedar County, Iowa, around this time, a man was born that grew up studying and perfecting his craft and became one of the greatest catches catch can wrestlers there ever was. And he, as catch wrestling was evolved in parallel with American wrestling, like we've talked about um, this guy learned to just use a variety of different styles. He was not the biggest dude in the world, but he used skill over size and became one of the prominent figures in what we know now as professional wrestling. And in 1891, this man, Martin Farmer Burns, defeated Evan Strangler Lewis to win the American Heavyweight Championship. And this is one of the earliest recorded championships, right, Rob? Yes, yeah, that we that we have concrete proof of, you know, that we we know definitively this occurred. I mean, we have we have hints and suggestions of other championships and again, I'm not so fixated on the fact that these are are that the jot and tittle are that important. I think it's more important to to acknowledge that there were people that were recognized as as national champions as it were and that title is used a bit loosely. And until we get to uh, Farmer Burns and Evan, the Strangler Lewis, then we start to have the emergence of what we're going to, to eventually see as a true lineology in, in wrestling. Absolutely. And Farmer Burns, for those of you who don't know, I mean, this is a guy, two years, he will hold this championship. He will uh, have over 6,000 matches uh, and only seven losses in his record. But more importantly than that, he's also a man who was one of the first to grasp the concept of not only is it important to be a badass, spectacle is a huge part of this deal. This is a guy who broke in into the traveling circuses by letting someone tie a rope around his neck and drop him six feet. And he whistled Yankee Doodle the whole time and just didn't die. <laughs> and... That was part of the fun for him. But we will get more into Martin Farmer Burns next week as we progress into this. And you start learning about world titles and all of those things. And really dig deep into the professional wrestling. Guys, I, we made it. We made it through all of this. And hopefully 
hopefully people stuck with us. We went through a lot of history yeah. here. Listen, if, if, if you're a fan of professional wrestling, all of this is is foundational to, to your existence. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like, I didn't know half this stuff. Uh, it's super interesting because, you know, this is a big part of my life and it's always good to know, you know, the origin of stuff like this. So, man, I can't wait till next week. And I learned that uh, professional wrestling is synonymous with execution <laughs> just now from Gary. So that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> this man would go and get literally executed every time. <laughs> wow. No, he okay. loved it. Apparently, he just he's, he's saying Yankee Doodle or whatever. Hey, and he was just hey. Come on, boys. <laughs> His neck was too strong. He didn't care. Uh, <laughs> Farmer Birds is a badass. And we're going to learn a lot more about him next week and that feud with Evan Strangler Lewis and. Probably so much more. There's a, there's a lot to talk about. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you're going to come back next week and hang out with us as we go into part two of the history of professional wrestling. Uh, hopefully our, our personalities were enough to keep us. And if not, hopefully Rob's education that he delivered was enough to keep you hanging on. Um, the show is at TIPW show on all of the things you can find us. Please go subscribe to the YouTube. Subscribe to us on the podcast. Let us know what you think. Let us know if we talk too much, too little. What do you want to know? We want to hear from you. We care about what you're saying. And join our Discord. You can even let us know there. It's the pinned tweet right there on Twitter, at TIPW Show. Rob, you want to plug anything? Tell the people where they can find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me at this is Dr. Stinson on Twitter. I'm free to talk all the time. I engage uh, with you when you engage with me. Uh, my most active project is on our TikTok, uh, which is uh, the TIPW show. And it is a, a more NWA focused, uh, 10 pounds of gold focused um, project, but it encompasses other things. You know, it encompasses tag team stuff and what might be in an important landmark event that, 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 occur that might have occurred that week or that day. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying getting it. You know, we try to, we try to do something on there every single day. I've also got some stuff and, uh, I'm working on this. I'm going to be working hard this Saturday to produce, uh, uh, a history focused show Dif distinct from this. It's going to be more anecdotal, but it'll come out on Tuesdays and uh, I believe Thursdays will, um, I think that's my assignment. Uh, yes, no, excuse me. It'll come out Tuesdays and Fridays. This, the house call with dr stinson oh i like it yeah i like it well i am uh i am at this is will martin with one l on twitter find me on there that's where you'll find all my wrestling talk and thoughts um you can also uh check out my new weekly show every wednesday called will's world and it's literally just a show where i talk about whatever the hell i want and uh that's always pro wrestling. So yeah, check that out on the audio channel and YouTube. And uh, yeah, as Gary said, come join our discord, join the conversation. We'd love to have you. I am at, this is Gary Horn on all the social medias. And uh, I do uh, news whenever it's, it's happening Mondays, Tuesdays. I did it on Tuesday. Might do it. Might do it Friday. Might do it. Whatever. I don't know. We try to keep you up to date on all the news you need to know is as quick as possible. We know you're busy and we hope to provide you a lot more audio content, video content, and we hope you'll be a part of the This Is Pro Wrestling community. We appreciate all of you. Check out our website at it's, it's TIPWshow.com 
Com. You can check that out. There's a shop there with a lot of cool merchandise. Um, there's a blog there you can check out. We'll try to keep you updated on news there as well. And uh, we just we just want you to be a part of this. We're trying to create a positive wrestling community for the newbies who are just learning, the people that are just getting back into it. We want to be your place to go in a positive community. No gatekeepers, no judgment. We're trying to be a cool place to hang out and talk about whatever professional wrestling you like. You'll love that Discord. There's a channel for literally every promotion. Anyway, at TIPW Show on all the things. Thank you so much for listening to this. I know we went long. It's our first episode. We're figuring out the timing. We're going to go into part two, and I promise it's going to be a lot of fun because now you're going to start to hear a little bit more about all of the characters that make up the history of professional wrestling, and they be wild. So until next time, enjoy your gravy cake.